Do you hear that? It's a werewolf. Ow! Okay. Hey guys, what's up? It's Josh, and welcome to the podcast where we talk about all things nerdy and horror. Today, instead of um, uh, reviews or discussions or something, you know, light and fun, we're going to talk about a real mystery in my state, Florida. I found a lot of cool cases on the internet, and I'm getting interested in the investigations, and I want to start doing more true crime. But first, before I get into it, I would like to start with a disclaimer. Um, Okay, first, let me start by displaying the Google definition of the term horror, an intense feeling of fear, shock, or disgust. That term obviously doesn't apply to just a genre of films. I'm going to use that definition of horror to describe the theme and overall feel of the podcast, something that scares people and scares me and makes us all feel a little uneasy. I want to acknowledge this certain issue, this other certain issue that a lot of people might be wondering I'm not here to glorify a murder. I'm not here to describe in dramatic, gory detail to win over viewers. Watch other true crime podcasts for that. The crimes are disturbing enough. I'm not going to glorify or pin a convicted serial killer as a celebrity. That's not going to happen. Okay. Okay, so now I got that out of the way, let's get into the sole purpose of the podcast. Okay, here's a summary of the murders. Remains of eight skeletons were found in a Fort Myers woods in 2007. Florida police calls it their largest excavation. Excavation? So, yeah. I'm getting this from um, the um, from one of the websites. Let's see. Winknews.com, by the way. Okay. Remains of eight skeletons were found in Fort Myers Woods in 2007. Florida police calls it their largest excavation of human remains they've ever found. Forensics could not identify all the bodies except for three, only that they were all male. Uh, the ages range from 20s to 40s. The three victims were Jonathan Tihei, or Taihei, forgive me if I'm saying that wrong, Eric Kohler, and John Belbins. A quote from John Belbins' mother, and I quote, She said, He said I'm going to go out for a little while, and said I'll be back, and never showed up. <sighs> By the way, all these sources are from winknews.com. Just a little reminder. Just wanted to make that clear. Belvin's mother added, It's been a decade. There's not a year that goes by that I don't think about the men. This has been ruled out as a cold case and has been unsolved since the morning of March 23, 2007. From NBCnews.com, it says, It was estimated they were placed in the woods between 1980 and 2000. It's also necessary to add that the first skull was discovered about 50 yards from a dirt road by an ecologist who was surveying the land for a developer. He was the man who called the police. Okay, it continues to say the eight skulls and more than a thousand other bones collected by investigators were scattered around 200 square yard area, most of them hidden by roots, plants, leaves, and other ground cover. None of the bodies had been buried. The Fort Myers Police Department declared the area a crime scene and called the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. The state police, for instance, uh, it's just not normal to have eight bodies in a wooded area. That's just not normal, said Jennifer Soto, which is one of the detectives and forensic specialists on the case. Okay, 
there's not really much that I could comment on this. I mean, that's a whole summary of the murders. I think one of the most interesting parts of it is that one, forensics dated it back to the 80s, which is mind-blowing, and two, it said that the bodies were, weren't even buried. They were just dumped there because the sick fuck that did this just knew that they weren't going to be found for like a long-ass time. Uh, because it said as far as the 1980s, maybe it wasn't the 80s, they don't know that for sure, but the article said it was definitely a possibility. That by itself is terrifying, and it's, um, it, 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 it's terrible. It, it really is. And in one of the articles, it says, hold on, let me find which one. On weeknews.com, there's a quote here by Heather Walsh Haney, which is one of the forensic experts on the case. She said, I remember thinking that this was a wooded area, very similar to many cases I had worked throughout Florida where it was an area that was secluded and it would be an area that would be easy to hide a crime, Walsh Haney said. And this quote makes me wonder, you know, I'm going to go further in depth soon on it, but you know, these cases are cold for a reason. They're very hard to understand, and when the FBI gets involved, you know, the, they try their best. But this expert says here that it's it's a wooded area where it would be easy to, to hide a crime. But if it were, like, that easy, then I don't understand why it's a cold case. Like, why can't they figure it out if those are obvious places? Mm, I mean, maybe I'm being too harsh, but if they know the specific woods, like, those are easy body-hiding places, then why did it take, like, the fucking... 80s over 35 years well it was 2007 when it was found but why did it take over a decade to find eight bodies it's weird it's really weird anyway okay let's move on to the suspects of the case obviously this is either a mass murder or a serial killing which are not the same thing i'll explain what they are and how they're different a mass murderer is a killer who kills a mass amount of people all in one night or in one day a serial killer is a killer that murders from time to time in a series of occasion who keeps killing, whether it's a daily, weekly, monthly, or yearly. It's a series of, mur of murders. Otherwise, if it were all in one night, it would be a mass murder, technically. From what I've re researched, there is a good, solid suspect who at this point has already been taken into custody and has been through a trial. His name is Daniel Conahan, who's been classified as a murderer and suspected serial killer. Uh, the reason he's only classified a murderer is because he's only convicted of killing one person, although he's suspected serial killer, and since detectives have linked him to other homicides, like this one. Okay, let's talk about his crimes. By the way, I'm about to go, I'm about to talk about some super fucked up shit right now. Like I said in the beginning of the podcast, when I made that disclaimer, I didn't want to glorify it, I didn't want to dramatize anything. Um, I'm just going to describe the crime in as little detail as possible. I think that's important to understand the horrors of his acts, at least, and who he is. So think of this as a minor disclaimer also. Okay, so he had mutilated a body that was later found in Punta Gorda. The body had been left outside for a month with rope burns around his skin, and his genitals were removed and discarded. He had done so much damage, the man was never identified. That was in February of 1994. Here are some linked crimes that he was suspected of killing. No, I mean, he killed them. <laughs> like, these are not even suspected. Like, he definitely did this. Um, I, I, I'll elaborate on that in a second. I mean, later. We'll see. In January of 1996, a dog brought home a human skull. Police quickly searched the original area and found a full skeleton and found evidence later that this one's genitals had also been ripped out. That skeleton had also been unidentified. On April of 1996, the same year, a skull was also found. By the way, all three of these were in southwest Florida. 
They found the belonging skeleton along with, wow, the corpse of a second body too. The second had been raped the day before. Okay, I'm not going to elaborate. I'm not going to read further. That's too much. The media dubbed the murders as the Hog Trail Murders. On June 3rd, 1996, Daniel Conahan was arrested and had been accused uh, by escaped victims and witnesses. Uh, it's, um, and it's kind of just obvious. Uh, he was sentenced to death, and we don't know the death date. I don't think it's public. Um, well, he was an obvious psychopath. I mean, I do believe this guy was obviously mentally ill. Here's a statement of the case. I'm not trying to diagnose anybody, but I mean... I'm sorry if anybody out there is like a sociopath and is cringing at this. I'm sorry. Okay. On February 25th, 1997, the Charlotte County Grand Jury uh, indicated that Daniel O'Conahan Jr. for four offenses allegedly committed upon Richard Montgomery, which is the murder that he was convicted of on April 16, 1997, count first degree premeditated murder, count two first degree felony murder during the commission of or attempt to kidnap commit kidnapping, count three, kidnapping with intent to commit or facilitate the commission of sexual battery, and count four, sexual battery. On August 8, 1999, Cohen waived his right to a jury trial for the determination of his guilt, and the case proceeded to trial before uh, 20th Circuit Judge William L. Blackwell. Okay, let's see. He is also classified as a pedophile. Uh, before I get into the nasty stuff, I'm going to read a court document. Um, uh, it also says down here, they um, he was in a gay relationship and lived with that gay partner in Chicago from 1988 through 1992. Cohen told Leaned, um, I'm trying to skim through who that is. Um, we can't really find it. Okay. Conahan told Lind about a sexual fantasy that he would, and I quote, like to pick up a boy hitchhiking, go in the woods, tie him to a tree, and fuck him. Okay. I took some time to skim. Um, um, I, I had edited further. Okay, I took some time to skim through this, and it doesn't seem to say anything about supposed disorders. It doesn't say anything about ASPD or whether he was a psychopath or a sociopath. Um, and I don't think people realize the intensity of ASPD and what it's like to be a psychosociopath. Uh, I knew a functioning psychopath before he dropped off the face of the earth, basically. Uh, he did try to manipulate me one time, and I was very confused at first, but that doesn't matter. Not saying that he was toxic or anything, he was just very mentally ill, and he used some of his charm to try and take advantage of me. And by the way, maybe that is toxic, but... Uh, he was a clinically diagnosed person with antisocial personality disorder who had the characteristic of a psychopath. I'm not just saying that because he did fucked up shit. Like, he was, he was a psychopath. Anyway, I want to get more into the real quick, that real quick. So let me just start by looking up at the DSM-5 for antisocial personality disorder. Um, yeah, because... And if you don't know what the DSM is, it's basically the book of that therapists and psychiatrists use to diagnose someone. DSM stands for Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. I'm going by the DSM-5. It says, according to the book, the essential features of personality disorder are impairments in personality, self, and interpersonal functioning and the presence of pathological personality traits. To diagnose antisocial personality disorder, the following criteria must be met. A, significant impairments in personality functioning manifested by 1. Impairments of self-functioning A or B. A, 
identity, egocentrism, self-esteem derived from personal gain, power, or pleasure. B, self-direction. Goal setting based on personal gratification, absence of pro-social internal standards associated with failure to conform to lawful or culturally normative uh, ethical behavior. And, okay, let me explain what that is. <laughs> okay, the self-direction, okay, absence of pro-social internal standards associated with failure to conform to conform to lawful or cultural normative ethical behavior, basically breaking the law. Um, social norm is basically what we consider to be norm in a social life um, that's within the rights of others and the law. So it's a violation of that, what it's saying in, um, in, in the first DSM characteristic, impairments of self-functioning. If you either have A or B, A or B, if you have both, then that uh, is a, a qualification. Okay, two, impairments in interpersonal functioning, A or B. A, empathy, lack of concern for feelings, needs, or suffering of others, lack of remorse after hurting or mistreating another. That's kind of self-explanatory. And B, intimacy. Oh, wow, intimacy. In capacity for mutually intimate relationships as exploitation is a primary means of relating to others, including by deceit or, I can't, I can't read that word, use of dominance or intimidation to control others. Um, I'm pretty sure basically um, using people to manipulate if that's a thing. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what that is. I mean, I'm going to Google... Um, this, I'm going by the DSM-5, which is like what I said before, which is what therapists use to diagnose. So I'm not just getting this stuff from like Wikipedia or whatever. Hey guys, it's future edited Riley here. I'm going to stop the podcast here. This is part one. Part two will be coming out either next week or the week after. Maybe next week we'll do something on a lighter subject. I know we talked about some really, really, really dark things. And, you know, I'm going to have my mind <laughs> go away from that for a second. So, yeah, if you liked um, the podcast, if you liked the episode, please share. Please rate us on iTunes or on the podcast app on your iPhone. Uh, go for follow on SoundCloud, subscribe on YouTube, um, do all that fun stuff. And I will be super happy about that. So anyway, I will see you in the next episode. Oh.